when uh, Crazy Rich Asian came out, my buddy's like, dude, isn't it amazing that your people is being represented? I'm like, my people? <laughs> dude, Singaporean Asians, they are like city Asian. We jungle Asian, bro. Like, we jungle Asian. <laughs> Welcome to The Worst Asian Podcast, where a couple Asian-American millennials give you our shitty opinions on all things Asian. My name is Linji. I'm here with my co-host, Ben. Yo, what is up? Good morning. How are you doing today, Ben? Hungover, but I got coffee. <laughs> Power through with the coffee today. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I am actually not nervous today. Why? You know, normally when we have a guest on, I got to do a lot of pre-research. I got to try to like, vibe with the guest and anything. Yep. I think for once today, I'm pretty laid back and chilled with everything. Yeah, I Not see so you. tense. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you watched the Olympics recently? Uh, yeah, some parts went again. That's a lie, right? Uh, That's a when lie. I'm at the bar, when I'm at the bar, I'm like, oh look, the just catching the highlights. Yeah, I'm like, oh look, the Olympics the are going. The Olympics have been lackluster this year, but one of the main highlights was Suni Lee. Yes. Aside from her personal accomplishments, I think one of the greatest things that she did was she brought attention to the whole Hmong culture. Yep, facts. And I'm hoping our guest today will help continue that trend. He will. Yeah. Well, one thing I do want to say very quickly. He is the epitome of why you should not judge a book by its cover. If I saw this dude <laughs> on the street and I was on the sidewalk, <laughs> yeah. I would cross to the other side of the sidewalk yeah. for fear of my own life. But he's like the nicest dude. Yes. yes. Welcome to the podcast, owner of the world's greatest beard. Yes. Yeah, Vang. Hey, thanks, guys. Hey, man, it's been it's an honor, dude. Hey, you know, every time I uh, get a chance to do this kind of stuff i always ask like how did you guys get your name <laughs> oh, oh shit yeah number one seo search engine optimization so no one go. took the handle i could get the exact same handle on every single platform yeah <laughs> number two which is kind of a strategy in life maybe this is a pro-life tip mm. keep people's expectations very uh, very low yeah. it's pretty cool because i guess i'm not using this word right because so i'm a millennial but i'm like an older millennial and I always tell people that I'm a millennial, but I identify as a boomer. I'm driving around. I'll see these kids. And I want to yell at them to go get a job or something. <laughs> and so, but anyways, Worst Asian Podcast, I would say, is... I, I wanted to say it's a thirst trap, but apparently I found out I've been using that word wrong. I thought thirst trap meant like you're just trying to lure someone in. That's it. And right. then like my girlfriend, who she's like, like a younger millennial, was like explaining it to me like, oh, no, like you're not using that right. And I'm like, I have these two female friends, you know, who are wearing this text chain and she, they're really cool. And they'll like. Hey, yeah, come out to this, and then they'll make like say little things. I'm like, stop thirst trapping me. <laughs> <They're> like, <"Do laughs> I'm like, I think I'm using it right. Like it means like to lure it in, and I'm like, Frank, I'm old. Yeah. That really proves you're a boomer because I had this thing with Ben uh, yes, sometime. I, I was, know what you're gonna say, I was yeah. like, hey Ben, what is drip? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what that means too. Ben and I are in our mid 30s. You, I'm gonna guess you're in your late 30s, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm close. Yeah, I'm 37. So I'm I, like, we like my buddies. I we always we're like the same age. Yeah. We're like the oh, same age. We're the same. Oh yeah. man, yeah. but you guys, you guys got that good aging genes, though, bro. You guys look like you're 25. Dude, if you shave, yo, if you, if you shave that beard, you're gonna like no. instantly like that's you're like, look 10 like years, bro. Uh, I just gonna turn into a baby. Bro. The beard thing started out as kind of a joke, and then one of my buddies is like, one would start. We started doing the pop ups. He's like, hey, you know that's kind of like your thing now, right? You can't shave it. And I'm like, no, whatever. It is. I'm, 
I was just like, my body, my choice, bro. I can do whatever I want. And then, <laughs> and, and for real, for real, like somebody did like a cartoon face of me with a beard on it. And I'm like, oh crap. Like, <laughs> I can't change it now. You got to keep that beard. Once you shave that beard, no one's going to know who the heck you are. Yeah, well. It's like Mr. T. He shaves or yeah, doesn't have his gold chains yeah. anymore. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> like, Yo, who's this guy? Speaking of beards, we just want to say uh, congratulations. Oh, thanks. That's a big deal, man. I know that's like one of the things you want to check off being a chef, right? Ben's talking about the James Beer Award. Thank you, sir. Uh, where are you yourself were nominated for Best Chef and your restaurant, uh, Union Monk Kitchen, was nominated for Best New Restaurant. Yeah, thanks a lot, man, guys. It really means a lot. Appreciate it. We, when we first started this whole thing, I, I've always told people, like, we, we didn't build anything to, to try to, to chase the ba- the James Beard, you know? Like, right. to be completely honest, and, and, and I'm not throwing shade on anybody, but there are some restaurants out there that they built it to win a Beard Award. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Or, or oh, there's, really? Or, oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, think about some of those restaurants that are like $4 million. It's like, dude, come on. Mm-hmm. Like, why did you oh, put $4 million yeah, yeah, into yeah. a restaurant? Like, better win some awards when you get investors <laughs> to true. come in and say, hey, we dropped four to five mil in this restaurant. Like... And I think that there are some cooks and chefs out there that that's this is kind of the epitome of changing chasing this. And I never thought that we would even be in the category. You know, we've always just kind of said, "Hey, we're going to do our own thing." Um, you know, people always take the food we do and say, "Oh, you guys make Asian food," which I always say, you know, Asia is a pretty big continent. Uh, yeah. There's a, yeah, there's a lot of different cultures in there, and all some of those cultures in there. Uh, yes, we are all from Asia, but if you really think about it, Russia is also part of Asia. Exactly. India, that's part of Asia. And so mm-hmm. it's like the saying, oh, you make Asian food is like saying, you know, you make food. You make North American food. Right, yeah. exactly. You know, I didn't even know anything about it. I actually, the day of, I was um, I was out to lunch and I had my phone off. And so when I turned my phone back on, there was like 52 missed messages. I'm like, what the frick's going on? And then I'm like, oh, I got to run off to another meeting. And I'm like looking through my messages and I'm like, what are they talking about? And then all, our staff... And a few of, uh, and a few, uh, my business partner was like, congrats, congrats. I'm like, why are you guys congratsing? What's, what's going on? You know? <laughs> and I had to pull my car to the side and I was like, what the heck? And so they don't even tell you personally before they no, make the public no, announcement? No, I didn't oh, hear wow. anything. You know, I didn't hear anything. So I didn't even Dang. know. I was the last one to know. And then, <laughs> that makes zero dude, sense. It's like you being like an NBA player finding out you got traded. Oh, that's, like with, um, that's no. exactly what it's like. Yeah, yeah man. Like uh, DeMar DeRozan, he got traded from the Raptors. He found out while he was watching a movie. He's like, yeah, Yo, I don't yeah, watch yeah, this yeah. movie anymore. So that's crazy. Yeah. I'm more of an NFL guy, but I, I've heard so many of those stories where, like, yeah, he'll hear it from, you know, like the Bleacher Report or yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Adam yeah. Rappaport will say something and he's like, wait, <laughs> yeah. I got traded? What's the deal? <laughs> yeah. And he'll call his agent and be like, hey, what's up? I got traded? <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. Like, I thought you knew. It's like, no, you're my agent, man. You're supposed to call me. Yeah, yeah van got traded. So yeah, man, it was it was a blessing, you know. And I I don't know about you guys, but you know I have a I have a Hmong mom, you know, Asian moms, and yeah, yeah. shout out to the moms. Uh, yeah, yeah, shout out to moms. And I tried to explain to her what it was, and she's like, "Oh, that's nice, you know, that's cool." <laughs> she has no idea, right? Yeah, I mean, my mom doesn't speak English, right, dude? And yeah, she doesn't right. understand pop culture. She doesn't understand, you know. And then later on, we talked, and I'm pretty sure my sister explained like what it meant. And so, like, her, her, her tone, tone was totally different. And it was really amazing. Oh, she's you know? like, oh, yeah, you should have said that from the beginning. Then I would have been more proud. And it's proud. weird to explain to your mom, like, hey, mom, like, 
people, you know, in America think that this food that we make is like some of the best food in the world, in the nation. Yeah. You know, it's like it's weird to say that to your mom. Yeah, she just thinks you're humble bragging. My mom and dad have, you know, they've done a great job of raising us what it means to be humble and how to honor people. And that's kind of what we try to do, you know. How's the past couple of weeks been since all this kind of blew up? I'll be honest, like it's been uh, really good. Uh, sales have gone kind of up a little bit. Like there's been a lot of, you know, just a lot of recognition, people coming through and everything. And it, it's been really good. But I mean, here here's the thing I love the most is, yeah, like I got nominated, blah, 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 whatever. But I, I really feel that it was like this group effort. Like you guys don't, like people don't uh, see yeah, the team yeah. that That's we have. Nice, nice. I can be here at, you know, like whatever, you know, 10 in the morning on a Saturday talking to you guys because I got an incredible team running the shop. You know, where, where I, I'm not over, like, hovering over them going, say, hey, what's going on? What's going on? You know, our, our chef de cuisine, Mike, is just killing it. And I think one of the most adorable moments is we got this uh, chef named Kevin. And Kevin, four or five years ago, Kevin was really green yeah. in the restaurant. Like, he could barely peel. And Kevin has gone from that to working in all these restaurants. And now he's wow. like a sous chef. He runs our shop. But Kev, uh, he screenshot the, uh, the James Beernam for Best New Restaurant. He circles it and goes, I'm so proud to say I can that I work yeah. at a James Beer nominated restaurant. And things like that to me like just warms my heart. Because that's what it's about. Like just your people taking pride in what you do. Kevin's a white dude making monk food. <laughs> Kevin is a white dude making monk food. And he's taking care of every ingredient like if it was from his own mom and dad's table. That's so mm. great to hear. And, and the people that work in our, in our kitchen, they're not all monk people. They're from all over, you know. Cynthia, who, who you know, who's a sh- one of our chefs. Cynthia, who's a, you know, who's an African American woman. Like you know, she's making it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or we got Tony Gao, who's you know, he's one of our sous chefs, and Tony Gao is he's Chinese, but he's making monk food. But if you trace back to like a few hundred years ago, Chinese and monk people were button heads yeah. all the time. You know, so so it's it's incredible, man. Like this is the thing people don't see. They think you know sometimes people see these awards and they're like, oh yeah, they're, they're doing great. It's like, yeah, but like you haven't walked through this this long four to five year journey with us, you know? For the mass media, sometimes they see you get the award and they just think you just popped up out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. But it's been a long journey for you to get to this point. You know how one point you were saying about, you're on a talk show and saying about like, you know, it doesn't matter where you're from. If you could just spend like 30 minutes at the table and share this food and we could talk about eating fried chicken. I remember I was like, yo, that's exactly what we need more of, man. Like, spread the love by food, breaking bread. We can have our differences, but one way into someone's culture is 100% through the food. And I know you're probably making your media rounds right now, and you've probably been asked this question a billion times. Just pretend like you're talking to two really dumb people on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Because in some ways you are. It's like so, two, two random dudes from Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> so how would you describe monk food to someone that has absolutely no idea? So this is what I would say. I say monk food isn't a type of food, but it's a philosophy of food. Mm. It's a way of thinking about food. If you want to know our people, you have to know our food because our cultural DNA is intricately woven into the foods that we eat. Mm. See, our food tells our story. So our food is always going to change because our story constantly progresses forward. One of the greatest things is I heard this Hmong historian said, he says, we are a progressive people. We are a people that's in process. And that's what I love because it's like, what what happens is that our people group could be traced back 7,000 years ago. They can trace back our people group in the foothills of the Yellow River in what is now known as Southern China. Like our people group started from there. So the Hmong people, we have a... 
uh, 18 clans or 18 last names. That's it. Our, our whole people group has oh, 18 okay. of them. And, you know, like here in the Twin Cities, which is, has the highest, densest, most populated Hmong people, uh, they have this council actually called the 18 Council or the oh. 18 Clan Council. It's kind of like Jedi Knight. Yeah, I was gonna say that actually sounds really fucking dope. Like Wu Tang Clan, like yo. Yeah, yeah, and and they, they each clan has a representative that represents them, and oh, they actually shit. they're an organization. They they have like they have like lawyers and everything too, and so like the council. Yo. Like, yeah, wow. it gets a little political. No, it's pretty dope, man. But if we chase it back, uh, Li Pao Zhong is the foremost biggest Hmong historian I know in the nation and probably in the world. And he's done all this research. And he, he uh, he's a professor at one of the colleges up here. And I've sat down and I've talked to him, become friends with him. And he's, he said that 7,000 years ago, our people, didn't ha- we didn't have any clan last names. We were just one people. Mm. So there was no last name. And it was through war and all these things that, you know, our, our, our people group broke up. And then we, you know, each region had different clan names and... But what happened was our people then moved from southern China to like Southeast Asia. So you got Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, and they lived in the hills. And our people lived in the hills because the lowland people, where the people, where the fertile soil was, didn't like our people. You know, it's just, it's just like these are different yeah, people. Yeah. We just don't like them, you know. Right? And so there, we rub shoulders or we glean from all these other cultures, and they've been able to take pieces of that and form it into our own. And so while doing that, it actually tells the story of our people. That makes sense. So some of the food we do have some Chinese background. They have some Thai background, some Laotian background, some Vietnamese background. I noticed that. But that actually, if you trace that back, that actually see, you actually can see where we've been. Where you were migrating around, yeah. Absolutely. So here in America, some of our food right now, I always say that, uh, you know, some of the way that Hmong food is done today, modern Hmong food, if you want to call it that, today is done regionally you know so so for the Hmong group that lives out in sacramento or fresno area it, they're done differently than here a little bit you know monk food that is in um let's just say like portland or arkansas or or florida or or even wisconsin is done a little differently than here in the twin cities so our people have always been about the ground whatever the ground provides us right or we're agricultural people uh the Hmong people are also known as the meow people mm-hmm. to the chinese what uh, meow literally translates to is sons of the soil. It was a derogatory term. Like, they always work outside. They're sons of the soil. Oh. I wear that name with pride. Yeah, exactly. If you think about, like, what it means to be a farmer and working the field constantly, it's grit. It's hustle, right? Right. It's, I, I call it the Hmong grit. Don't stop. You just work mm. the field. You work the field. And so I love that name, sons of the soil. Um, it, it, somebody goes, it sounds like a biker gang. I'm like, it yeah, does. Yeah, I was going to say... That sounds actually pretty fucking dope. Yeah. I was like, yo, that sounds pretty hard as Yeah, yeah. Because you never like especially when you're when you're a farmer, you're at the mercy of the weather. If it's a crappy raining season, you're screwed. Our people have done that for thousands of years. And they never they never once stopped. And then, you know, that doesn't include the the war, which is the secret war, which is the Vietnam War. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to actually get into that slightly because I think that story, how your parents migrated to the U.S., is really indicative of the story of a lot of Hmong people yes. who are currently here in the U.S. Do you mind just telling us a little bit about that, how you and your parents first came here? Yeah, so um, my dad, at a young age, at 12, was asked to join the local militia. So during the Vietnam War, what was happening was U.S. couldn't technically have boots on the grounds in Laos. So what they did was they sent in CIA case officers, special forces guys to come in. And their job, like Green Berets and all those guys, their job was to gather the locals, which were the Hmong people in the hills and in the mountains, and teach them military tactics. 
And then there was this handshake deal that was made. Yeah. And then yeah. this deal that was like, hey, if you fight for us no matter what happens, America says you guys can come over and be be citizens for free. Yep. Okay. So all the Hmong people, if you take an oppressed group of people, they'll be like, oh, man, that's the dream. When you're yeah. desperate for something and someone wiggles the carrot in front of you, you're going to go mm-hmm. for it. That's true. Yeah. So they so they joined up. You know, a bunch of my uncles joined up. My dad joined up. He said he was 12, 13 years old. Jeez. And they just trained. They started training. And and the, the Hmong people, they're, since they knew the mountains so well, their job was to rescue down U.S. pilots. So the U.S. pilot would do the bombing raids on all the on all the trails and stuff like that, where the supply lines. And if they got shot down... Uh, my dad and, you know, what they, their job was, was to do these night missions where they would go in and try to, to rescue these pilots. Damn. And what they would also do is they would use them to kind of attack these small strongholds, you know, so like they would set up bombs and they would, you know, fight and whatever, you know. So they, they were, they were the proxy army for the U.S. government. Because the U.S. didn't think that they were going to lose this war, it was like, yeah, this is an easy war, like whatever. These are a bunch of these that are a bunch true. of people, like you know, it's like. But but remember, it's it U.S. was like democracy fighting communists, right? That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. So when the U.S. pulled out and all the support pulled out, the Northern Communist Party came through and slaughtered our people. So fifty five thousand Hmong people were killed in that. It was a genocide because it's like, oh, you're Hmong, you fought, fought for the Americans. Well, you're you're, you're, you're part of the West. All that backlash. So uh, my dad, I remember he tells me the story of the news came down and says, hey, the Americans have pulled out and the Northern Communist parties are coming in and killing all our villages. And so my dad and the rest of the team, they they left to go back home to to rescue their family. Mm -hmm. And the only safety they had was Thailand. So you had to go to the mountains. You had to go back home, go to the mountains, grab your family, and then you trek. And it's a three to four month trek through the woods, through the jungle. And you just hid, go and hid. And you get to the Mekong River. Mekong River is the ninth ninth largest river in the world. And you got to cross the Mekong River with nothing. And a lot of people died. A lot of people died in this whole mix up. If you get to the Thailand side, once you got to the Thailand side, if the Thai government didn't catch you and send you back to internment camps, what would happen was, you know, you would then be one of the lucky ones and get to the refugee camp. So the refugee camp that we, that I was born in and my parents met in in 77 uh, and got married in 78, wow. uh, it was called Vinai. And so Vinai is the name of our new restaurant that we're building out. So mom always said that Vinai is not where our story ended, but it's actually where our story started. Vinai is a symbol of hope for our people. But I will always say that this restaurant, Vinai, it's a love letter to my mom and dad. It's the culmination of their legacy that we can tangibly put into a building and say, no matter what you, when people come in to eat and they dine with us, they get to feel like they're part of mom and dad's table. Yeah, that's always great. Uh, We left the camp in 88 and I was born in 84. So we left the camp and we ended up here in uh, St. Paul. And yeah, and I remember starting school right away and didn't know any English kindergarten kid just walked in and just try to figure it out figure out life there's a lot of u.s history especially for a small ethnic minority groups that don't get taught in yeah. public school or get you know spoken about enough and you can only find these things when you actively go out there and you try to research your, yourself yeah. which is why i think it's great that you're here today i think it's great that Hmong culture itself is finally finding some light yeah you're just a fucking cool ass dude so like you representing <laughs> the Hmong culture right Dude, couldn't ask for a better person, I think. Yeah, do you ever feel kind of weird speaking for your entire culture? Yeah. I don't look at it as I'm speaking for our entire culture. I, you know, I look at it, I look at it as I get to be the voice of my mom and dad. Mm. Mom and dad never got a chance to write their story. Their story was written in war. War came to their doorstep. 
any country that has war in it, the parents, the children, the people of that country, they don't get a right. Look, look at Ukraine. Yeah. yeah. You think those families in Ukraine be like, well, you know what? I aspire to be this. <sighs> Heck no, dude. When the freaking bomb is blowing up your backyard, you don't have time to have like, I'm going to go in my journal and write about what my five-year vision is. It's like, dude, how do I survive the next five seconds? Exactly. Yes. When you live in that world where it's like killed or be killed, like your whole vision changes. It's not like, hey, I was wondering if we can get some coffee today and just talk about what let's our talk, Let's talk it out, guys. You know, let's, uh, you know. It is literally that. And, and this is somebody who grew up listening to these stories dad would tell and the things he did in the war. He's a retired dude now. He plays with his grandkids. Nice. You know, he's like in his late 60s and he sits there. You know, he's like, he's a dorky dad and a dorky <laughs> grandpa. And, and he loves his like 80 inch screen TV that we bought him. <laughs> <laughs> and and we got this like super, like the one of those like $10,000 massage Yo, chairs. Yo, this that man looks like a is living his best life. Do you know what I'm talking life. about? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know those exactly are. what you're talking about. Right? The one where you go, when you yeah. sit inside, it's like, yeah. it's like, it's like a space, space thing. Yeah, it's like yes. A space. And it just like, you can just press the button. He knows all the settings <laughs> and he'll have his blanket on. And he'll watch like Nat Geo or like the Weather Channel. I'm so like, vibing with your dad right now. I, I just want to yeah. like, That sounds him. really good right now. Right? So it's a dude who's fought a war, who survived, who sacrificed like 35 years of his life to bring his kids here and did all these things. And I love the fact that he just plays with all the little grandkids. It, it's like an old warrior who has no more battles to fight. Uh. You know, like because he's fought all his wars. I love it. I love that. So here's the deal. He has this incredible story that he's not going to tell people, that he doesn't brag on himself. Right. Well, I always think of it this way. I think of it as I'm like, you know, those old uh, those old pens, like the quills, you know, the feathers. Yeah. yeah. I'm the quill and they're the ink. Oh, dumb. And I get to write that their story. Like, it's not my story. It's their story. If you come to Union Monk Kitchen, if you guys eat with us, you come to V9, you come to mom and dad's table, like the hot sauce we make, it's mom. Mom taught me how to make it. Yeah. The Hmong sausage we have, it's a recipe from dad. We use that. I don't I don't divert from it. Mm. And, and the reason I talk about that is mom and dad, when they came to this country, they didn't have anything they own. Like there's nothing in their name. Legally, there's nothing in their name. They, they don't have land. They don't have anything they own. It's just you, your suitcase, and whatever's in your pocket. No. Yeah. And all they had was these recipes that they carried with them and they would they, they raise us up on. And so when people ask me, oh, yeah, could you make like a, you know, no, no knock on the vegans, but it's like, hey, can you make a monk sausage? Can you make a monk sausage that's vegan? I'm like, no, I'm not going to. And not out of disrespect, but out of this is the way dad made it. Right. So that's how I look at it. Like, I don't represent the monk people. I don't know if this happens in your Asian community, but man, some of the worst critics are our own people, right? 100%. Oh, yes. Right? Yeah, man. And it's always like we're doing something wrong. Oh, like, my know, God. These messages. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's not real monk food. You're compromising. Oh, this guy, he's just doing this so he can get his name out there. He just wants <laughs> money. He's used, He's bastardizing our food just so that he can blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And I'm like, bro, you don't see the hard work. Like, If I wanted to make money, dude, I'll, I'll do something else, like, right? Yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. Anything besides restaurant. I think yeah. restaurants don't make money, man. It's hard. It's not a glamorous life. If you want to make money, do something that is completely yeah. away from the culinary world and then Absolutely. you'll make a lot more money. Like everything your parents told us we should have done, like anything in the medical field, anything in the law field, anything in the finance field, like you do that, you're good, you're set. Yeah. I just want to do like a plug. I watched your Eater episode where you made that, you know, make sure barbecue <laughs> grill and stuff and you're like marinating the meats. Definitely for anyone, if you want to get like a glimpse of it, I think that's a good video to watch. It got me, you know, salivating for sure. 
So Minneapolis, Minnesota has the largest Hmong community outside of Asia, correct? Yeah, so so I would say the Twin Cities. I wouldn't say like in the metro here. So like St. Paul and Minneapolis are like 10 miles apart. So oh, okay. what I say is Twin Cities because so in the whole Twin Cities metro area, there's about 75,000 Hmong people. Have you guys been able to, I guess, within your own community, try to keep that culture together and keep that culture alive? Yeah, I think there is a lot of people doing that work here. And that's incredible. For example, like uh, with Suni Lee winning the, um, the the gold in gymnastics, and she's killing it right now in the college level. Mm-hmm. The people are going crazy. They're like, "Hey, man! Like, who are these people?" Because everyone, like, with the last name Lee, everyone's, "Oh, she's Chinese." Or yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, they always label her as Asian American, you know, because it's like again, Asia's a really big continent. It is. You know? oh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, I always joke because well, when uh, Crazy Rich Asian came out, mm-hmm. yeah. my buddy's like, dude, isn't it amazing that your people is being represented? I'm like, my people? <laughs> dude, Singaporean Asians, they are like city Asian. We jungle Asian, bro. <laughs> like, we jungle Asian. Yo, yo, that's so true, man. When people come up to me and they're like, yo, Crazy Rich Asians. I'm like, dude. Jesus Christ, I'm not even that. You're like, I'm Korean. I know. But I was like, yeah. thanks, I guess. <laughs> ben, it's kind of like when uh, when there's like a really fancy French movie came out and we just go to all the white people. Like, oh, man, <laughs> you yo, guys are represented. Yo, I, yo, it's like, yo, Chad, I loved you in Ratatouille, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing you know, work, Because chef. you're white, right? Because, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're white. You're white. Like, you guys are all like, yeah. you know, family, right? <laughs> yeah. That's how crazy it is. Like, and so for me, I would have to really explain. I'm like, no, 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 man. We're jungle Asians, dude. Like, word, word. we don't live like that. Like those guys in Singapore. Like, we don't live like that, man. We, we get a hut, you know. <laughs> and, and if you're lucky, if you're lucky, you get like little like sh- like the, 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 the you know your roof is made out of like bamboo leaves or something. Oh, wait, wait, like, if you're lucky, if yeah. you're lucky, the insulated bamboo yeah. fiber. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the first time I heard about the Hmong culture was. Um, it's, it's, I don't know if you know that movie with uh, Clint Eastwood, Grand yeah, Torino. Yeah, Grand Torino. Yeah, everyone talks about that, yeah. Yeah, man. I was just like, oh, damn, man. I was like, watching You see, that. that's like how little we get taught in public schools in the U.S. Yeah. The fact that that was our first exposure to Hmong culture. Yeah. What did you think of the movie, by the way? So I get it. Like, it's really cool because if you realize, like, if you know the background, like, the writer to that movie is actually from St. Paul. Yes. So he grew up in St. Paul. And he grew up with a lot of them, right? Yep, he grew up in the in the. I want to say he was in the East Side neighborhood, but mm-hmm. that's where a lot of the Hmong people's first landed. So he grew up with that. So he, when he wrote it, he's like, "Oh, I really want to feature the Hmong people." There is a large Hmong population in in Michigan, also because yep. you know it was like Michigan, it was like Detroit, but there's a lot of Hmong people, especially in the Warren area in Michigan. Yeah. So there's some Hmong people. The reason why the Hmong people came into the Midwest and why there was such a big influx of it, especially here in the in, in the Twin Cities, was because of the Lutheran and uh, uh, Methodist social services. Oh, okay. like church movement. Because in 1980 there was the refugee Im- uh, the Refugee Act, mm-hmm. where basically the rule is it says you can't immigrate here, you can't come here as a refugee unless you have a family here that's willing to sponsor you. Uh, well, if you weren't ever here to st- like, if your people is not here to start with, I was just gonna say that that makes zero sense. Yeah, like, from a logistics point, I get it, but also from a logical point, it makes does make sense. So this act came and said organizations can help with sponsorship. So a lot of the Lutheran and Methodist churches here, especially in the Twin Cities, were saying, "Hey, we let's open up." So here in the Midwest, especially Wisconsin, and you know, and in the Twin Cities, there's 
the Hmong story is very prominent. We know each other really well. But, you know, uh, Gran Torino, every, again, when it came out, I was in college. Every one of my friends called me up and said, hey, have you heard of this movie called Gran Torino? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like it's all my white friends. And I'm like, yeah, kind of racist, bro. But yes, I've heard of it. It's like yeah. low-key racism. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, because I've known you for a long time, I don't look at it as racism, but low-key racism, yes. They're like, yeah, you sure you watch it because, you know, there's Hmong people in it. And that's me, like, almost, again, like, that's like me texting my buddy. Hey, there's this movie called Captain America. It's about a white dude. You should watch it because you're white. It's like the most silliest thing. This is your grandpa, Captain America, Steve Rogers? That's a biopic about yeah, him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> at least going to say they got the right group this time. Yeah. That's true. I think it's great that they actually got Hmong actors to play Hmong characters. Yeah. yeah. We would not have been surprised if they just got a random Korean guy like Ben and just made him. Like, <laughs> or they were to get Henry Golding and shit. They're like, yeah. Yo, you're dude, close let enough. Let me yeah. just tell you something. Henry Golding, dude, every girl I know is just loving him. You know? Like, I'm like, come on, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my, share, share some, bro. My share wife some, does, thinks he does not look that good. Oh, oh, yeah. When she's around her girlfriends. It's like, don't worry. You're the only guy in my life. She's like, baby, you're, you know, you, you, it's you're just You're my you. whole world. Don't make me feel worse. It yeah. makes me feel better when she says that. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. You're like, let me have this one. One of my buddies, he's half Korean, half white. And yeah, man, he's got the Henry Golding look. And I'm like, dang, Oh, dude. man. This is a very quick side point, but like mixed race Asian babies. Oh, dude. They're like beautiful. Dude, they're all I know. Beautiful, amazing people. My my buddy, he's uh, he's Taiwanese and his wife's, you know, white from Chicago and, you know, Midwest white. And their kids are beautiful, dude. Like you can't tell. You're like, what are you kids? Like, you know, the kids are beautiful. <laughs> my race is gorgeous. <laughs> I remember in college, there was a, there was a girl. who We like, became friends, but I remember first freshman year she comes up to me and she's like oh my gosh you're like asian i'm like yeah she's like i want your babies <laughs> i'm like buy me a drink first bro like let's uh let's like yeah it's like oh respect respect my mind not my body please <laughs> my eyes are up here thank you yes up here. excuse me <laughs> yeah i'm not a piece of meat here yeah i'm not a piece of meat <laughs> Do you ever feel weird? Because I know uh, growing up where you are, there is a predominantly non-Asian population, right? People say it as a joke, but you were sometimes really the only Asian kid that was in the space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, it wasn't really like made apparent to me. I was different because growing up, I just had this mentality that if I can do everything they can, then they won't be able to reject me. Mm -hmm. So like in, in high school, like it was like I was involved with all the clubs. Like, you know, I played football. That was my life, football. Like I want football. Dude, you look like yeah, you play that's football. That's what it is, man. I was like, yo, you look like a bouncer or like, <laughs> or like you know, fullback or some shit, man. And, and even in high school, I dealt with just looking different from everyone. So I was like, I was yeah. a bigger kid. So I'm like, well, if I wear a helmet, put on pads, they can't see what I look like. And if I just hit people really hard, uh, my coaches love me. And that's all I really cared about. And the whole plan was just to, you know, play football, get to college, play football in college. And if I can get them to like me enough, then they won't dislike me and but i found that out real fast too that it's not how the world works it's not unfortunately you know like especially when it came to dating and all that stuff you know you found out really quick that's not how the world works yeah nobody ever except for henry golding but nobody ever looks at it damn you henry freaking henry what the always, he's like raising that standard for all of us i know god damn yeah it's, it's hard when he's in like freaking gq magazine wearing like all the skinny cut crap i'm like dude i'm big boy you know <laughs> we were having this discussion and you know like the like the word for like curvaceous women is thick you know with the two c's yeah, yeah. yeah. what's the word yeah. for like big dudes like what's what's the <laughs> word for that do you know like like good it's like beefy we, we beef beefy is a good one beefy. yeah beefy seriously so, you know, so yeah, it's, I, I dealt with that a little bit in college, just trying to figure my way around that. Um, but it came to this moment where 
I, you know, growing up, I never, I didn't want to be a cook. I don't know if I ever told you guys that, but I never wanted to be a cook. I ran from it. Me and restaurant cooking or cooking in the restaurant, it's kind of like, um, it's like that girl that you, you go out with, but then you break up and you go back out with, you break up and you do it for like 15, yeah. it's like 15 years. Yeah. Ben knows this. I do know this. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, dang. I'm calling <laughs> drama here. So after 15 years of it, I'm like, I might as well put a ring on it, you know? Oh, because shit. It's like, uh, yeah. and, then, and then after a while, you find out that you... There's this moment of re-falling in love with it, and I remember why I first was drawn there in the first place. And and for me, it was this aha moment with my family, you know, with my parents. Um, my my dad had a really bad accident. Uh, he was in the ICU, and my dad's my hero, right? Oh, I've shit. never seen him hurt. Yeah. And so I, I went to the hospital, and there he was, like all bandaged up. Where I lived, and where they lived in Wisconsin at that point, was like three hours away, and. And the doctor says, you go in there, you grab his hand, and you ask him if he knows your name, if he knows you, because there was a head injury. So, Oh, oh. shit. I think he was in the ICU for almost six weeks, you know? And Holy shit. Yeah, man. I look at my dad, and he's all groggly. I've never seen him that vulnerable before. Like, this guy's yeah. a war hero, right? Yeah. This guy yeah. freaking fought a war, and he survived. Like, all his buddies died, but he survived. And he came to America, and he survived, Damn. and he made it through, and he, and he took us through everything. And we all got into college, and we all left college, and he paid for everything. Like... Like, this is not how a warrior is supposed to die, slipping off of a stupid ladder. Oh, is that really what happened? Yeah. Yeah, he slipped off a stupid ladder. He's working. He builds homes, and he slipped off a ladder and hit his head on a railing. And I'm like, that's not how heroes go out. Right, right, right. Like yeah. you know, like you either you either die an old man telling your war stories, or or, or you die a hero on the battlefield, right? Like that's yeah. the only way you go out. Like warriors die that way. That's the only way. A stupid ladder. He's sitting there and he's laying in bed in, in, in the hospital bed. And I grab his dad. I'm like, Dad, Dad, do you remember me? And he kind of groggly and he looks at me and he said, I think you're my son. And I remember I left Shit. the hospital. I was driving back to the Twin Cities. I know exactly where I was on the freeway when it hits me. It's like. If dad dies on that bed, everything of who he is and, and how much he means to us and to me goes and he'll never hear it. Yes. And that changed the trajectory of how I did food. That is one of those points in your life where really you can remember, oh, geez. When I got into my 30s, mortality is just like always on the clock. Now you're like, yo, my family, your inner circle. Yep. I think about my parents, like once they go, I'm like, damn, you know, that history, that past, because they're technically more Korean because I was born and raised in New York. It goes away. So like you said, like, you know, trying to share the story, being the ink to the quill, you know, that's really important now. Is that like what happened with you in terms of um, the trajectory of the food you were cooking? Yeah. So we were about a year, year and a half in and, you know, I had like a day job and then on the weekends that we do the pop-ups and it, it was like we were doing like Hmong food for Hmong people so that I can impress, like, so so that I, I felt like I was doing it so that Hmong people would be like, oh, look, look, that's one of our boys, you know? Yeah. And, excuse me. And one of the things I figured out was... I don't give a crap about what other Hmong people say because <laughs> they didn't raise me. Like they didn't sacrifice for everything. So mom and dad did. And so the only thing that matters to me is if I can look them in the eyes and said like, hey, I stuck to the way that you taught me how to do things. Like the only thing that matters is their opinion. You know, and my father taught me a long time ago. He said to me once, he said, hey, you're my son and I love you. There's nothing you can do that can make me love you more. And there's nothing you can do that can work your way out of my love. Like, I love you because you're my son and you're from me and that's it. Like, you don't have to try. You're, I already love you because you're my son. I remember dad said that to me once and I was just like, okay, cool. I was like 20. And I was like, oh, hey, cool. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. But like, then like cool, realizing man. that how much I can fail and they can still, they'll still be there. It, it gives you this ability, this freedom to, 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 to want to, to chance it, to try. Yeah. Right. Like 
I can take the risk. Like over COVID, where we're like, I'm like, we gotta keep pushing. We gotta keep figuring this stuff out. I mean, we came to a point where we had like 500 bucks left in our like work um, checking account, and I'm like, how are we gonna, how are we gonna pay our people? Like we came to that point, and it's like, let's close all this stuff down. You know, uh, I was uh, presenting this opportunity to be like, hey, yeah, like you should not do the restaurant thing and just do the media stuff. Go do like the TV cook thing, blah blah blah. And I'm like, no, because that stuff's great and it, it becomes a platform for right. us to tell our story. But see, if you, if you know anything about the Hmong people, like our, our people came to this country with nothing. And, and especially my family who came to this country with nothing. I, I want to build something that one day when they look to it, they, they think of my mom and dad. They think they know their legacy. Man, that's amazing. When people come and they're like, oh, you're such a great personality. You have this. You're so good at this, blah, blah. I giggle because it's not me. It's actually a reflection of them. Everything that I know that's good about me, everything I know that's, you know, words like integrity, honor, all that stuff is from them. It's from them sacrificing everything. And that's why I get so fired up. Earlier this year, I, I got my citizenship. Congrats. Congrats. Congrats <laughs> Thanks, man. And there's a, there's a few people that commented. It's like, why would you want to be a citizen of America right now? You know, and that's what people say. And these are all white people who are born here, right? So you guys get what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was like, bro, do you not know what you, you know, know, we have to know what that means? Yeah. yeah. Dude, here, here's the deal. It's like, it's like a dude who's like super rich and says, why would you want money? Oh, yeah. it's like a really <laughs> poor family. It's like, shut up, dude. Like, seriously, you know? Yeah. And, and so... So the reason, and, and, and you know, it was really cool. We, I got to write a little article about it. And, and what I said was this. I said, when I got my citizenship, I went through the ceremony thing, swore in. I felt like I heard the echoes of my grandfather who died in the war, of my uncles who died in the war, of all the, all the Hmong heroes that have died in this war so that we could be free in, in a good haunting way. Uh, I heard their echoes going, earn this, son, earn this. Like to be what what it means to be a citizen here. Like I look at my father and the war that he fought, the things that he did. I look at my mother, the sacrifices she made. Right. And I hear them, their voices going, earn this. Not not in a way of like I have to like be worthy, but in a way of like know who sacrificed for you. To get to where. Because the Hmong people, we we fought for America. They fought for America. Literally fought for America. Yeah. Not figuratively. Literally fought for America. They were true patriots. Fighting for the interests of America before they even stepped in America. And then when America denied them, they trekked and survived and made it their way in. And even knowing that maybe we won't make it, but maybe if we try, our children will make it. Yeah. And then becoming a citizen in this country. Like, I, I tell people, like, look, you don't have to have the Hmong story to resonate with this, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a Hmong kid to resonate with this. I think in everybody, if you search deep enough, you have that purpose and that drive that, that pushes you. That's some inspirational stuff, man. You're that, bridging that gap, bro. When I hear you talk about this, I can hear the fire that's being lit. Yeah. You know, like, I want to go out there and do something yeah. more purposeful with my life. I'm like, damn. Why are we doing this podcast? <laughs> Dude, um, my dad says it all the time. He's like, son, I don't think you understand how much privilege you have being here. You have no idea how lucky you are. You don't know, like, right now, currently, how many people or families that are older or sick whatever that would like die to come here i think that's a point that resonates with all immigrant families that come to us right. both asian and non-asian is yeah. that you're chasing a dream ultimately not for yourself as the person that's coming here but ultimately for your future kids and for their descendants right you becoming a citizen probably logistically on paper didn't do much of a difference for your life no i'll, I'll be honest no 
Yeah. Other than traveling and whatever, you know, like yeah, you know. maybe it's like less paperwork when you go somewhere else, right? Whatever, but it means a lot. It's a symbol more than it is a technical uh, achievement for you. Like it's a sign that hey, this is the fruition of all this hard work that all my parents and their yeah. grandparents did for you to be here and to be a U.S. citizen. Exactly. And I'm not trying to shit on native U.S. citizens, right? It's something that I don't think they can really understand. Right. It's like such a deep yearning for something. Thank you so much for sharing your story, you know, your history, your culture. Is there some other pillars that you would say we should know about? Yeah, like I, when I think about it, I also think too, like the whole idea of community. Like, so I, I'm an East Coaster for a little bit. You know, we grew up in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. From kindergarten to seventh grade, I grew up there. And there was not that many Hmong people. And there were like a vi- there was probably under like 200 of us there. In oh, that wow. That, yeah, it's like none. And so I remember I asked my dad, I said, Dad. What, what, what do we do? There's not that many Hmong people. And my, I remember my dad saying to me as a kid, he said, wherever you go, if there's another Hmong person there, you always have a family. Oh, man, that's nice. Yeah, so wherever you go, if you meet another Hmong person, you're like, oh, my gosh, because we share a history. Yeah. yeah. We share suffering together. We share pain. We share we share that backstory. So it's always like, you know, like like when you go somewhere and, and like somewhere random where I see another Hmong person, we're always like, huh, what's up? Like, <laughs> uh, who do you know? Yeah, and so I think that that's, you know, that's something that's really cool. Community, as much as I talked about the negative on our community, the positive, too, is, like, we have what I call Hmong Facebook. Like, there's... Hmong Facebook? Yeah, I was going to say You know say how that. there's Black Twitter? You know how there's Black Twitter? Like, yeah. there's Hmong yeah, yeah, Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're a kid who you got in trouble for, like, robbing something, like, oh, they will yeah. put you on blast. They're like, that's this so-and-so's kid, and that's the uncle of this, and da-da-da-da-da. Oh, my gosh. It gets messy. Yeah, dude, you don't ever want to be on Hmong Facebook. Like, but again, our community is great. You know, around here, like I've been very blessed to be around here. My mom, when she goes to church, like they'll they'll always stop her at church and like, oh, like we see your kid on Facebook and local on celebrity, man. Yeah, I just did the speaking event a few days ago, and a mom brought her kid there. A Hmong mom, she brought mm-hmm. her kid, and kid's like seven or eight years old, and he's like, hey, it's my kid William, and. He wants to be a chef when he grows up. And he's like, can you take a picture? I'm like, yeah, sure. And so we took a picture together. That is dope. And then then the mom kind of looked at me and she goes, it's just so nice to know that there's somebody that looks like him that are from his people group that that he wants to be one day, you know? Right. And I've never really thought about that, you know? But it's like, there's that representation, you know? I love hearing stories like that. Yeah. It's like so great because these That's past really couple of years, we've seen Asian people rise to mainstream media. But I'm so glad that it's not just Henry Golding yeah, and he's like British Asian too. Like he's like fancy Asian. He's like British Asian. You don't count. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Henry, yeah. you're welcome on the podcast anytime. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah I'll take you. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we love you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, but you know, come by anytime you want to eat. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You come by, man. You come by. Don't worry. We'll take care of you, bro. We have one segment that we do at the end of every single podcast. Yeah. It's called Ranting and Raving, where we take some time to rant or rave about anything that's unrelated to what we're talking about today. Anything. Most of the anything. time, we're just bitching about something random. But I'll start this okay. off today. I'm at the point where text messages, where I literally don't give a shit if my sentences make sense. I'll type something and my spell check will change like world to onion. I'm like, whatever. It's both a circle. It's both round. It's close enough, right? Because in the past, I would, you know, delete. I put the punctuations. I do all that jazz. But now I'm just like, you know what? I'm talking to these people enough. They'll get what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't know if that makes me a boomer or just lazy. Sometimes like you'll send me a message. I'm like, what the f*** is like, what, are you, what is this? Why do you keep writing onion? And I'm like, all right, I guess you're hungry or some shit, you know? 
I used to have like a BlackBerry back in the day. And I remember it was oh, so man. nice yeah. tapping on the Blackberries. Like a physical oh, keyboard. Yeah. But now with the touch screens and with the swiping thing, I'm just I'm just so lazy with typing. Dude, when you have gorilla palms like me and big fingers, dude, man, it's yo I, I do voice to text now. I was yeah, smart. because it's like if I have the text longer than like a sentence, I'm like, ah, oh, screw it. I'll voice the text is bad boy. Is it a game changer? It is a game changer, dude. Like the technology's gotten pretty good. Except, except here's the deal, guys. Apple, you know Apple, how it scans the face a little bit? It's a yeah. little partially racist, I found out. <laughs> oh, I know what you're talking about. I want to do kind of a TikTok video on it, you I know? Talk about because it. it's like my Asian friends, we can all kind of open each other's phone with our faces. Yeah, yeah. And then the white kid, my white buddies, it doesn't work on them. I'm like, hmm, Apple? Hmm, the AI's a little racist. <laughs> <laughs> a little low-key racism right there from uh, uh, yeah. Mr. Yes. Tim Cook. Have your AI go to a sensitivity class. <laughs> it needs to go to the HR department. We're going to cancel that AI. Yeah, we're going to cancel that AI. <laughs> yes, yes. What about you, Ben? What do you got? I had a, like, a conversation with someone. It was at work at the restaurant. I was dropping out a dish, and I was explaining it. She was an Asian lady, but she was like, she asked me, she's like, oh, you're, are you Korean? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm Korean. She's like, are you from the north or from the south? I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh. Technically, you know, we if you're from the north, I wouldn't be here. You know that, right? <laughs> Most likely. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's just trying to dart. So I guess it's kind of like, I got a little, at first I had like a knee-jerk reaction. I was like, oh man, that was kind of fucked up. But then I was like thinking, you know, maybe, like, let me be patient. There are people out there that really don't know. So the theme is more low-key racism. <laughs> okay, yeah, trending on the thing. But I guess it's just, uh, since we're saying it now, oh, guys, don't ask people <laughs> if they're from north or south. Just stick with just you know you're Korean and stick that's Korean. it and that's and you're good. Play it safe. Play it Play safe. Play it safe. Uh, chef, what about you? Do you have anything? My my thing is if you think about it, guacamole, okay, and and mashed potato are basically the same thing, just with different you know like different <laughs> like a, like you have your avocado, and you got your potato. Think about it, right? I never thought about it's, that. It's it's something that's mashed up, yeah, and you you add other ingredients in to flavor it. Guacamole. And mashed potatoes are basically the same thing. Did you just like think of it just like randomly while you're making like in the kitchen or? No, my, my buddy and I, we, we on his podcast, we do this thing called DTF, define the food. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally thought about something else. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. That's the point. <laughs> we do these segments together on his uh, podcast, the Folly Podcast, and he he runs a coffee company, and so he has a podcast, and we do this thing called DTF, Define the Food, and we'll talk <laughs> about what is the difference between a burrito and a wrap, you know, <laughs> and we're like, how do you define, yeah. how do you f- define soup? And oh. what's the difference between a soup, a chowder? Can I ask you something, Chef Dan? I'm legit too. Is a hot dog considered a sandwich? Yeah, we did one of those. Like it's it's a it's it's out there. It's still debated. It's still debated, but where is your take on this? So when I think of a sandwich, I think of two separate. Okay. Like so a hot dog in any kind of sausage form that's in a bun, there's a connector. Um, okay. but they also too the vehicle of the food is in a tube form. Right? So for example, like a lobster roll. Right. Like, is that a sandwich? These are the big questions. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> There, there's a lot of political issues around the world, but we just need to know. Like we just mashed need to potatoes know. and guac, they're basically the same, right? <laughs> I'm going to go to Chipotle and ask them to give me the extra uh, potato. Yeah, the green mashed potato. The green yeah. mashed potato. <laughs> oh, by the way, Chipotle, dude, that's when you know you're riding high. Like after college and you oh, got your little extra and you take your girl to Chipotle. Word. And they're like, oh, would you like the guac? And you go, hey, I would like the yes. guac. And then, and they go, oh, that's extra. And you look at your girl and you're like, 
I know. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> you know? And that's when you're like, that's like when you get your first like grown up paycheck. It's like, it's okay, baby. I got this. I got you, baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> It has been such a blast to talk with you today. Yeah. Hey, man, I, I love what you guys are doing, dude. Honestly, and not, I'm not trying to blow smoke, but like, I really love what you guys are doing. Uh, I think that is super cool because I think sometimes, you know, especially when you're talking about, you know, uh, Asian issues and stuff, it gets very like a very proper NPR, like, da, 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 <laughs> yeah, you know? I know, man. Yeah. yeah. And I know. I know that you guys are right around that kind of, you know, status, but I know that you guys keep it oh, real. No. Uh, <laughs> okay. You're like, give us a little bit too much weight there. Yeah. But man, I'm, yeah, dude. When I got introduced your podcast, dude, I was listening to it and I was like, dude, this is like, these are the guys I can hang with and we can just goof around. But just have that commonality of knowing what's like to come back from come from that like immigrant uh, family, you know, and that refugee immigrant family and just to, you know, really be a part of that, dude. Thank you, Chef. Henry Golding, guys. We get Henry Golding on this. Henry Golding, baby. Henry hey, Golding. Henry Golding. If your PR company's listening, uh, Worst Asian Podcast, yeah. guys. Worst Asian Podcast. Get in. When I just see Chef, I'm just going to be like, yo, Henry Golding, yeah. bro. Henry that's, Golding. That's, that's going to be our new catchphrase, yo. That's our new <laughs> catchphrase. Like, yo, if we watch a game, then there's a touchdown, but yo, Henry Golding. Henry Golding. Look at his name. His name even sounds <laughs> awesome. Golding? Like, seriously? <laughs> yo, that's what I'm saying. What the frick, bro? Why'd you take all the good names? And then, then, then his first name is Henry. Like, oh, that's easy to pronounce, you know? It's not some weird name like Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, or like Linji or like or, Ben. What the hell, yeah. Ben? <laughs> ben, ugh, traitor. Ben, we're gonna call you by your real name now, Byung. Byung. Oh, okay. oh, dude, you yeah, got Byung. you got a Korean name? Yeah, I have a Korean name, Byung. It must be nice, bro. It must be nice. <laughs> to live in both worlds. Com- conforming, conforming. Because yeah, Linji, he's not Lenny. <laughs> yeah, I'm not Lenny or Luigi. Yeah, Luigi would be awesome. Dude. <laughs> So great having you on. You want to no. tell the world where they can find you and what you're yeah. up to? Oh, yeah. Uh, you can follow us on social media at, uh, at Union Mung Kitchen. Uh, and then we yeah. have our new restaurant uh, uh, being built out called uh, V9. So it's at V9MN. And then my personal one is at Yevang70. And if people are in the area, where exactly is yeah, your restaurant? Yeah, so, uh, so V9 is just an empty building right now. We're still working on building that out. Please don't go there yet. Yeah, please don't go there yet because it's just going to be an empty place that the, the sidewalk's not shoveled. <laughs> and then uh, Union Mung Kitchen is in uh, North Loop, which is kind of like the ritzy part of uh, Minneapolis. We didn't plan it that way. It's it's in this food hall called Gray's Food Hall, and it's actually a block away from the Twins Stadium. So Minnesota, you know, Minnesota Twins baseball. Yeah, so it's right in that area. Right. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of breweries around there, but we're, we're in this food hall called Gray's Food Hall. And um, yeah, so in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Go out there and check them out. Uh, when we go out there, we're self-inviting ourselves to you Talk and your family's it, feast. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting hungry, dude. <laughs> okay. Appreciate it. Um, if you guys want to check out what Ben and I are doing, we're on all the socials at Worst Asian Pod. That you can find us at Worst Asian Pod, mostly on Instagram. I think that's where we're most active. Mm-hmm. If you guys have not gotten the fact yet, he also has his own podcast. It's called White and Rice. He's been in the game much, much longer than Ben and I have. A hundred fifth. <laughs> The episode? No, not even. Like, we're almost to 100. That's it. Almost to 100? He's like, no. Well, I kept refreshing back. Your it fingers just keeps getting, refreshing. Your fingers keeps are getting tired. Like, so check him out there. Make sure you leave both us a five-star review and him a five-star review as well. Yes. Appreciate it. In the meantime, guys, we'll catch you next week. Every Thursday, same place, same time. Bye. Thank you. Thanks, man. <laughs>